A quick note before we begin. While the National Restaurant Association is committed to allowing restaurants to serve people as safely and quickly as possible, no advice can guarantee prevention of COVID-19 or other respiratory illnesses. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Order Up, the National Restaurant Association podcast for the food service community. Each week, we bring you conversations and context from the challenges facing the restaurant industry today. I'm Michael McGinnis, multimedia producer at the association. Together with my colleagues, we'll bring you stories behind the latest restaurant industry research and policy efforts. Today, I'm speaking with Hudson Reilly. Hudson is the Senior Vice President of the Research and Knowledge Group at the National Restaurant Association. Hudson, for those not familiar with your work, can you please tell us a little bit about your history and what you do for the association? Good day, Michael. On behalf of the National Restaurant Association's research group, it's a pleasure to have some time to talk with you today uh, about the current state of the restaurant industry and where we see it going. The association now for half a century has had a uh, research and knowledge group, and its mission is to be the leading source of research and information on the restaurant industry. We have two primary functions. Uh, One is to conduct uh, original research. And the second is to compile secondary research through our Knowledge Center. So for many decades now, the association has undertaken consumer, economic, financial, market, human resources, tourism, and operational research, as well as uh, compiled a host of secondary research uh, on the restaurant industry. So... It really has been an important focus of the association for half a century now and obviously will be going forward. So, Hudson, that's a long timeline. Uh, despite that, though, we are in what uh, the overused word, but uh, uh, what everyone calls unprecedented time. So let's get right to it. What's the current state of the restaurant industry? Unfortunately, the current state of the restaurant industry is obviously quite dire. More than any other industry in the country, it has suffered the highest sales and job losses since the COVID outbreak began. And at this point, more than 8 million restaurant employees have been laid off or furloughed. And this accounts for two out of every three restaurant employees losing their jobs. And so not surprisingly, in addition to a substantial, substantial employment impact, the sales impact is equally, if not more, problematic. So if you go back to March, uh, eating and drinking places actually accounted for a hefty 60% of the national job loss. In the April numbers, which just uh, came out last week, it's 27% of the national job loss. And in tandem with those back-to-back monthly job losses, restaurant sales have dropped by a staggering $80 billion in just two months. And uh, the May situation looks like it is improving somewhat, very incrementally, at least directionally it's correct. Uh, But May will be another month of substantial sales loss for the industry. And... uh, If you look out and project this situation till the end of the year, even with some of the 
restaurant reopenings occurring with limited seating, uh, the National Restaurant Association at this point in time is projecting overall industry sales to plummet by $240 billion in just this year alone. So it's a situation that is extremely problematic and obviously can vary dramatically, not only by different region of the country, but state and uh, even within the states on metropolitan levels. Hudson, we hear a lot about other industries such as transportation and retail uh, facing tough times as well. Could you give us a little bit of a sense of how the restaurant industry compares to other industries which have been hard hit? When you look at all the other different industries in their current situations, uh, it's quite clear that no other industry has incurred the sales losses and the job losses which the restaurant industry has. And looking forward in terms of the economic recovery, one of the most important points is understanding the economic impact which the restaurant industry has in America today. So, for example, we know from previous research that every dollar spent in the restaurant industry generates an additional $2 elsewhere in the national economy. And the restaurants really are at the end and the tip of a host of different well-integrated and developed supply chains. So what happens in the restaurant industry immediately translates down these different supply chains into all of their sales and employment pools as well. So prior to the onset of the pandemic, it was a environment of $899 billion in sales estimated for the industry with a total employment pool in excess of 15 million individuals. And what happens is as the demand for the restaurant food and beverage dropped off the cliff, in tandem with that also the ripples down the supply chain. So you can take a whole host of other industries, whether it's manufacturing, agriculture, technology, there really are substantial implications for the national economy because this is magnified by consumers' inability or decreased wants and needs to utilize food service in their daily lives. So going forward, it really is a two-prong approach. One is that the capacity of the system has to gear up, and in tandem with that, the ability of the supply chains to meet increased demand also has to occur. So there are a lot of moving parts that over the next uh, few months have to get integrated to even support modest increases in restaurant spending going forward. Yeah, and with four out of 10 restaurants currently closed, almost 50%, there's obviously going to be some issue with supply chain in terms of expectations. And we are looking at a possibility of not only how many restaurants are going to reveal open, but in what capacity. Can you talk about a little bit the way in which restaurants are thinking about functioning coming out of this? Uh, some obviously uh, may go into 
uh, full operations, but I would imagine that's not the case for the majority of them. No, I mean, looking at the entire food service industry, the association looks at sales in almost 70 distinct components of the industry. And you take those 70 segments and you lay that over the wide, wide geographic variations and the regulatory and legislative environment. And it's an extremely fragmented and complex picture as to how the industry gets back to where it wanted to be uh, this year pre-COVID. I think the basic fact is that when people talk about getting back to normal, it's important to understand that for the foreseeable future, there is a new normal. And so consequently, if you look at the different segments, how those segments operate going forward is going to vary dramatically. And just as different segments have higher and lower presence in certain geographic and state areas, the fundamental operating characteristics historically of quick service, of table service, and, for example, catering, in some ways ensure a base of operational capacity. And by that, I mean a quick service historically has had a disproportional emphasis on what we call off-premises traffic. Off-premises traffic is takeout, delivery, drive-through, curbside, food trucks, and catering. And so going into this situation, quick service structurally was much better prepared to deal with a only off-premises market demand. And so operators that had drive-through, operators that had set up strong carry-out and delivery programs already had a leg up. Now, table service for the past several years had realized that historically the growth in traffic was coming from that off-premises segment. So many, many table service operators had upped their game regarding the capacity to serve the off-premises market. But the fact is, pre-COVID, if you look at traffic in a typical table service operation that was off-premises, it was in the 10 to 20% range. So that's an entirely different situation to come back from than it is to be a quick service operator that had already in essence, engineered the off-premises market. And in tandem with this, of the ability to currently meet the focus on off-premises, but going forward, is the integration of technology with that uh, restaurant experience. So if you think even for table service establishments looking ahead over the next year, it won't be uncommon for restaurant patrons to basically make reservations, order, and pay before they even set foot uh, in an establishment. And that's either to do carry out curbside or to have the limited seating capacity that seems to be indicated. It's a situation that is fluid and changes uh, day by day, obviously, with what different uh, cities and, and states are doing in terms of, of reopening. 
But some of the inherent characteristics operationally going forward are going to be the same characteristics of growth going forward that they were pre-COVID. And that is basically satisfying the dueling consumer needs of convenience and the need for socialization. And obviously, historically, uh, the quick service segment was quite adept at at meeting and driving and growing that, that demand for convenience. Conversely, in terms of meeting the consumer socialization need, uh, the table service environment uh, was obviously quite adept at, at meeting that need. And so in an environment where not only is the socialization component dampened, but from a consumer perspective, their attitudes obviously, and rightly so, have dramatically changed towards a focus on safety and security in tandem with that socialization experience. The challenge for many operators is that the operational model that they built and worked successfully for years was never envisioned to deal with a situation for on-site of limiting capacity to, say, 25 to 50% of capacity. And as you are quite aware, the pre-tax profit margins in the restaurant industry are notoriously tight. In other words, usually about 3 to 6% of sales. And so if you look at fixed operating expenses, for example, occupancy cost, In many instances, the way the fixed expenses are set up, the basic operation cannot subsist for any period of time with a constrained seating capacity. So what you will see is basic operational changes, whether that be the movement to curbside, Uh, For traditionally, table service operators that haven't focused on that, and that's occurring now. But going forward, the ability to maintain that curbside presence, and a lot of that depends on what goes on with the regulatory environment on on a uh, state and local basis. It is an environment, though, where every incremental possibility to get it and generate additional sales dollars comes into play. And so for many years, the association has actually surveyed customers about whether they would like to be able to purchase retail sales items at a restaurant. In other words, the signature items for that restaurant. It is a situation now where you do see many more restaurant operators offering retail purchase of grocery items. That does lend a lifeline to many of these operators. However, going forward, the question is, do they continue curbside? Do they continue with, for example, retail sale of groceries? I think it's pretty clear that the history of the restaurant industry is one of extreme flexibility and the ability to adapt to rapidly changing consumer trends as well as consumer wants and needs. 
So the industry overall, in many ways, this COVID pandemic has really put on the fast track some of these trends which were developing on the second and third tiers and brought them front and center. And going forward, what the consumer has perceived as a traditional table service operation for at least the remainder of this year and likely into the early part of 2021 will be a different experience. It doesn't mean that table service relies solely on curbside and limited seating and grocery sales, for example. But it does mean in an environment where consumers' income as a result of the developing recession, and the question is how long does that recession last? And at this point, most economists are hopeful that that come the third quarter, in other words, by the time you get to the end of September, on an annualized basis, national real GDP growth can get positive again. So the big unknown is what happens in terms of consumers' expectations and utilization regarding uh, restaurants across the board. And it's, it's a fine balance because recent research the association has done shows that pent-up demand for restaurants is not unexpectedly at record high levels. If you ask consumers uh, today in America, are they using table service restaurants as much as they would like on site in their daily lifestyle? It's now approaching nine out of 10. And uh, just in January, it was down at at 45%. So that has virtually doubled. And that pent-up demand is a definitely a positive aspect for the typical restaurant operator because the history is quite clear. Consumers prefer using restaurants over grocery stores, but there are two factors going forward, not only their attitudes and behavior regarding the utilization of food service, particularly for socialization, but also how they feel about doing what was traditionally a, a almost everyday occurrence in an environment where their personal safety and security is top of mind. ServeSafe, the leader in food safety training, brings you three new free COVID-19 precautions training videos, restaurant reopening guidance, takeout, and delivery. Visit ServeSafe.com to start your training. You talked about pent-up demand even for in-table dining, but there's going to be rules and regulations. And then you mentioned the margins. I think the average person doesn't have an idea of just how tight those margins are. So on an average night, how much of a difference does each customer make to a restaurant's bottom line and their chances of having a, a profit or loss? Well, the restaurant industry obviously is a small business industry, despite the, the enormity of, of the total sales volume. If you take a typical American restaurateur, 
they're running a small business with daily sales of just $2,500. And as I mentioned earlier, pre-tax profit range of 3 to 6% of sales. And 7 out of 10 uh, restaurants are single-unit operations. And in essence, a single party of five customers each day can be the difference between a restaurant operating at a profit and a loss. And that's why when we were previously talking about the impact of putting on seating constraints, many of these operations just aren't engineered or envisioned to be in a situation where literally only a quarter to a half of the typical daily patrons can come on site. And the ability going forward to manage in this situation in many ways, re-engineers the total income statement and ultimately profitability of, of typical restaurant operations. And that's why going forward, you know, our typical statistic is that there are over 1 million restaurant locations across America. If you think about even the term location now, it's, it's better to think about it in ter- terms of points of access. And those points of access going forward in many ways will be non-traditional sites. In other words, the rapid proliferation of virtual or ghost kitchens, the ability to use technology to drive a greater accessibility and availability of takeout and delivery. The way these typical occasions are going to be paid for, the way they are going to be more focused on reserving slots at a particular day and time and location. So the industry has always been an industry of extreme breadth and depth. And for example, if you take the Great Recession of uh, 2007 to 2009, among those almost 70 segments, even in that environment, certain segments were able to outperform what was going on with the rest of the industry. And that will be true in in this environment. I mean, there are certain operators in certain menu classifications and certain geographic areas which have actually posted record sales and traffic increases. Now, granted, that is the exception and not mainstream, but it does indicate that because the industry is so fragmented, so large, so diverse, and so flexible, that there can be innovative solutions coming online in six months, which in many cases wouldn't have ever been possible or envisioned two, three years ago. With those numbers, you're talking about profitability for the restaurant. And obviously that's the bottom line. They can't stay in business if they're not profitable. But in a switch to off-premise, you're no longer needing to employ waiters, bartenders, the people who are uh, obviously in your location serving your customers where do you see those jobs going is it is it towards delivery is it uh, you know is there a model out there for you know waiters and bartenders to perhaps go to locations what's your thoughts on that 
looking at the employment situation going forward, I would say the most positive scenario would be a year from now that employment levels would return to somewhat pre-COVID. That would be the best possible outcome. The restaurant industry is a quite unique industry in its extreme labor intensiveness. And sales per employee for the entire industry are just, for example, $60,000 a year. And that is quite low compared to not only retail industries, which, for example, uh, can have sales per employee of $250,000, $300,000 per employee per year. Certain capital-intensive industries can have sales per employee of three, four million dollars per year. So the fact that the industry has been and will continue to be defined by its extreme labor intensiveness basically indicates that although the employment drop has been extremely precipitous and steep in a three-month period, it is unlikely that over the next three months, those employment levels are regained, obviously. And so that means there are substantial national economic implications because for every position in the restaurant industry, that in the supply chain and elsewhere in the economy, that supports almost another job on a one-to-one basis. It's actually a one to a 0.7 ratio. So one item that operators will definitely use more going forward is technology to facilitate sales. Now, the integration of that technology doesn't necessarily mean that employees are going to be displaced. It just means that in many instances, the labor is reallocated. And so pre-COVID, if you ask operators uh, when they've integrated pay at the table, when they've integrated uh, kiosks, those type situations, has it decreased their demand for labor? And in most instances, they will say, no, it has resulted in the labor being redeployed to much more effective customer relation servicing. And if you think about the next couple years from a restaurant industry employment standpoint, eventually the industry will obviously exceed its its pre-COVID employment levels. But a lot of that has to do as to how the operations spin up and how those labor staffs that have been retained are redeployed. In some cases, the employees will have essentially the same job, but in many instances, they will have an entirely different job. And if you look at the industry from a occupational skill set, part of what has been needed and what will continue to be needed is apparent in the association's educational foundation of focusing on the professionalization and skill training for different occupations across the board. And the industry will certainly not become one of the most least 
labor-intensive industries in the country, it will become likely better at utilizing that labor in a slow-growth environment to situate specific operations to generate above-average sales. But the idea that one out of every 10 people working in the national economy prior to pre-COVID was uh, true. So that if you looked at the penetration of the restaurant industry and national employment, it was quite substantial. There's only one other industry that had more employees than the restaurant industry did, and that was healthcare. And so even though the industry has endured among all industries the largest employment losses going forward, the employment growth coming back will likely, because it was such a large drop, will likely outpace what goes on with national employment. But the fact is a lot of that is is mathematical. And so for the nation overall, the ability to get back to a situation of GDP growth in the 2% range, real income growth in the positive range. The, the one item which doesn't get a lot of attention at the moment is what's going on with uh, growth in what we call real disposable personal income. And that's, that's the macroeconomic indicator which correlates best with growth in the restaurant industry. For this year, not surprisingly, real disposable personal income will be negative, and that's the first case in several years. And the reason that's important to labor is because when there is a dampening of employment growth, there's a dampening of income growth, that dampening of income growth translates directly into dampening restaurant sales growth. So... There are two situations concurrently over the next year is the impact from the changes in the national economy and how that translates into consumer spend. And simultaneous with that is how employment progresses in the industry in alignment with that gradually increasing consumer demand. Hudson, what's the one piece of data you don't have that you wish you did? Ah, that w- that would be a quite reliable projection as to what goes on with uh, COVID nineteen in terms of the U.S. population. Uh, it is, you know, the the big question is: is there a second wave? Is there a third wave? Is there a vaccine? Uh, there are one heck of a lot of unknown unknowns at this point. To me, the most important known is that. The restaurant industry is appreciated and embraced by the American populace, both in hard and good economic times. I mean, Americans like to use restaurants in their daily lifestyles. That is quite well documented pre-COVID and post-COVID. So the question is, how is the facilitation of the typical American restaurant patron accomplished over the next year, over the next two years. And part of that ultimately hinges on what goes on with income growth. And 
Real disposable personal income is more than salaries and wages. For example, it is transfer payments. It is rental income. It is uh, dividends. There's a whole host of income streams in real disposable personal income. And at the moment, uh, most macroeconomic forecasters say that real DPI does go positive next year, as well as real GDP. So that indicates in 2021, at this point, without any substantial recurrences, that normalcy for the country potentially could be achieved in, in about a year or so. But in that year, just as you look over the past year, who could have possibly predicted what happened with COVID? It is an environment of uncertainty. And just the inherent uncertainty translates into weaker consumer confidence because they are more anxious, more constrained in their capability to spend. But the industry, because the population embraces the core intrinsic attributes of food service so much and wants to use it more than they have been and will be using it, indicates that overall there is room for optimism going forward because the industry is fairly unique in how the public perceives it and wants to use it. And one of the studies we often cite is that annual Gallup study, which uh, looks at over a couple dozen industries in terms of consumer perception of how positive they view that industry. And, you know, back in August, uh, the restaurant industry was the unparalleled number one industry among all the others for public positive perception. And going forward, that inherent strength is still there. The typical restaurant operator will, in essence, augment that perception by offering increased safety mechanisms, whether it, it be face masks, whether it be sanitization, surf safe training. So how that perception is going forward uh, is already elevated compared to other industries. So for the typical, you know, mom and pop operator, there definitely is a light at the end of the tunnel. The question is, how long is that tunnel and the capability for many of these operators to endure? And at this point, it looks like a year from now, in terms of employment growth, in terms of income growth, that it is possible for that situation to once again be a little more normalized than it currently is. All right. I think uh, it would be nice to end on that uh, note of optimism. So uh, Hudson, just tell us before you go, where can people get more information that tracks your work? Sure, that National Restaurant Association's website is restaurant.org, and all of our research and knowledge materials are under the tab backslash research. Hudson, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at Order Up, the National Restaurant Association podcast for the restaurant community. We'll update every week on Fridays. 
Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or iTunes or visit us at restaurant.org slash podcasts. This episode produced by Dante32. Learning how to implement COVID-19 safety measures in restaurants can be challenging. ServeSafe has you covered with three new free COVID-19 precautions training videos. These videos provide guidance that restaurants need to reopen their dining rooms and what steps should be taken for safe delivery and takeout service. Visit servesafe.com to start your training. Again, that's servesafe.com.